0: Do you have more different sounds that you're using? Okay, thanks. Actually, I think you all can play together. You can do the drums together when you're doing it. We just played... Sunday Service... Palm Sunday is the start of Holy Week. And it's really a start of uh, uh, an important time in the Christian calendar, important especially for us as Christians to spend time reflecting on why Jesus came. And the, the, the fact that ultimately, you know, He came to save us, that we were in need of saving. And, you know, I, I hope that you would... Uh, um, Take this week seriously. Take some time out to pause from your regular schedule. If uh, you're so inclined, I would urge you, you know, maybe even fast a meal a day. Um, I, I can, you know, most of us will be able to sustain <laughs> skipping a meal. But the purpose is not for intermittent fasting, okay? <laughs> purpose is really to say, Lord, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every Word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So spend time in prayer. Maybe spend time in uh, meditation on the uh, scripture passages you want to meditate. One thing you could do is just go through the Gospels, and all of them have accounts of you know the crucifixion. Spend some time thinking about that, and then when you can, come for our Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and then our Easter service. You know, and I think it's a it's a powerful time for us to reflect. But I want us to uh, think. Oh, this was a nice graphic. I forgot to put it up, so you can see and think about Palm Sunday. <laughs> but I wanted to look at the passage uh, from the gospel reading, but also then I will conclude with looking at the psalm as well. You know, to uh, ask the question: You know, who is Jesus to us? Behold, your king is the title of my sermon. In verse uh, uh, ten of uh, Matthew twenty-one, it says, "And when he entered Jerusalem." The whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? Stirred up is an interesting word because, you know, uh, basically um, in a new uh, Revised Standard Version, it says in turmoil. The whole city was in turmoil. And uh, reading it in the Greek, there's a sense in which there's seismic activity, you know, like earthquakes. So I kind of uh, uh, laughingly put it there, you know, the city was shaken, not stirred. (laughs) You know that phrase. (laughs) But, you know, the um, response of the crowd was, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And at first blush, we may think, okay, so he's a a prophet from God. But if you have read through the Gospels, you remember the account in John's Gospel of the feeding of the 5,000. And the aftermath of that miraculous uh, provision was this, verse 14. When the people saw the sign, the sign of him... Uh, feeding 5,000 men and women and children over and above that with five loaves and two fish, they saw the sign he had done. They said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Not that Jesus was denying his kingship. Is that a word? I think so. (laughs) But uh, he knew his time had not yet come. But certainly this is what was being anticipated and what uh, we see in this account of the triumphal entry. What they were doing, and especially you see this verse, verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Hosanna is actually uh, a word that... uh, in all the New Testament, they don't bother to um, translate, but it's literally it means save us, or maybe even save us now. There's an immediacy. There's a, a cry for salvation, and it's uh, uh, often it was a liturgical term, you know, that they would use a, a cry of jubilation, and it ac- actually it's derived from this psalm that was read, Psalm 118, verses 25 to 26. Save us, we pray. There, that word, which is in Aramaic, becomes Hosanna, you know, and and then it's transliterated into the Greek. O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. If you understand Hebrew poetry, there's often parallelism. In other words, you know, between the two phrases, you say the first thing, save us, we pray, O Lord. Then he said it the second time, basically saying it a different way, but expressing what you mean by the first, or building from the first. Oh Lord, we pray, give us success. How many of you want success? <laughs> no one. Uh? <laughs> a handful of you. <laughs> right, we all strive to be successful in life. Whatever measure you use to measure success, isn't that right? That's our desire. And that was the heart's cry of the people. Of course, there were all kinds of reasons they were doing. And the question is, what kind of king were the people looking for? Because there was no mistake. All the actions, all the words that are being spoken, they welcome Jesus in as king. But what kind of king? You know, everyone who lined those streets, they all had a different uh, a reason for why they were waving those palms, why they lay their cloaks down. You know, it, it, it actually mirrored uh, what happened earlier uh, with Maccabeus when he came in and he uh, expelled the invaders. At that time, I think it was the, the Greek empire who had come. Antiochus Epiphanes came and he desecrated the temple by on the high altar slaughtering a pig. You know, for them, that's not kosher. The, the, the pig is considered an unclean animal in the Jewish faith. And so, you know, Maccabeus, when he came in and he uh, got rid and re-consecrated the temple, that's the, 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 the accounts. They were waving palm branches. They laid their cloaks. You know, it's exactly the same uh, scenario being replayed. That's was, that was their anticipation. They were, you know, they heard about Jesus' supernatural power. They believed that He was the Messiah come, and they wanted Him to use that power to free Israel, to liberate them from Roman rule. Or maybe there are some in the crowd who had members of their family or loved ones who were sick or dying. They waved their branches because, you know, we need physical healing. Maybe others were just onlookers looking for something to do. huh? Nothing to do. You know, go and see what the crowd's about, right? It's also not unusual for us as Singaporeans to do. Or some could have been genuine followers who wish that Jesus would establish Himself as an earthly kingdom. You know that the disciples had that in mind. You know it because even after the resurrection, if you read Acts chapter 1, The question right at the beginning of that book, after Jesus had raised from the dead and was teaching them in the 40 days before He ascended, they asked Him, when will you restore the kingdom of Israel? They were asking Jesus, you know, they still didn't get it. When is this earthly kingdom going to be established? You as the Messiah are meant to establish. Jesus was the only one in this parade who knew exactly why He had come to Jerusalem. He came to die. Jesus had a mission. Everyone else had an agenda. We go back and we look at the prophecy that He was fulfilling. You know, they they shouted, you know, from Psalm 118. But they understood when Jesus came in on the donkey, it says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, this is the prophet Zechariah saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a beast of burden. You know, compare, this is uh, uh, um, basically drawn from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And if we read uh, chapter 9, verse 9, and then the following verse, verse 10. We can compare and contrast, you know, our thinking of what a king is. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. He uh, uh, he comes to bring salvation. He is humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Coming in on a donkey was a mark of humility. It's not what was expected. What would have been expected is found in verse 10, right? It says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. You know, if you are a king and the conquering king, you would expect him to be riding a big stallion, a war horse, you know, that snorts at the crowd around them to intimidate uh, uh, the Roman invaders. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. He comes in with humility, riding a donkey. And he comes, not like the kings that the world desires. Not, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, in a war footing, as it were, but he comes to bring peace. And he comes and his followers are waving palm branches. But that's not the king that the crowd wanted, I believe. This is a depiction of Emperor Constantine entering into Rome. Can you see the juxtaposition? He's here riding a war horse. He has his armies behind him, holding their swords, you know, ready to declare the fact that they have taken over Rome. Constantine is significant because he was the one that Christianized the entire Roman Empire. You know, uh, um, He himself became a Christian, and then he decreed that became the, the, the state religion as it were. But this is not what happened. Jesus was not the king the people or the crowds wanted. Jesus was the king that they were given. He's a king that conquered not by the sword, but by surrendering. He's a king who mounted not a throne, but a cross. He's the king whose crown. Was a circle of thorns. And you stop and you think about it. How within the space of a week the crowd could turn, their hopes had been dashed. And you know, when hopes get spurned, the reaction can sometimes be even stronger. You, if you've planned all your hopes on someone or something and you discover that they don't meet your expectations, you know, oftentimes the response is anger. When they were crying out, "Save now!" and they saw him mount the cross, it's no wonder—or you know, at least at trial—that they cried out later, "Crucify him." I want to conclude. Last yesterday, the young people were stunned. Wow, so short, uh, Pastor. <laughs> this week we have a lot of services. i sparing you a lot of uh, preaching to listen to. But I want to conclude by thinking about this uh, passage from 118, uh, Psalm 118 and beyond what was read because it puts everything in its uh, um, context in that sense. Psalm 118 was a Thanksgiving psalm and it's uh, a part of a group of psalms from 113 to 118, what we we'll called the Hallel Psalms, psalms of praise, psalms that were often used at joyous occasions. And this particular psalm, was often used during the Passover. And this uh, Palm Sunday that took place was a week before Passover, which was supposed to happen the following Sabbath, the Saturday, what is now today Holy Saturday. And so that's why there was this anticipation. That's why the, the, the words of the psalm was on the lips of the crowd, because it's a psalm which they have associated with the Passover. When Jesus comes, they were thinking, yes, this is the salvation we have. And you know, the psalm begins this way, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. You get what the message of the psalm is? What is it? His steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast love in the Hebrew is the word hesed, and a hesed has a peculiar, a particular a, a theological meaning. When God, when used of God, hesed denotes, in general, the divine love condescending to His creatures, more especially to sinners, in unmerited kindness and favor. And mercy, I would add. When we talk about his steadfast love, enduring forever, it means the world. Because if you read on in the psalm, and I I skipped certain verses because I want to bring forward a theological point rather than do an exposition of the psalm itself. You see in verse 5 it says, Out of my distress I called to the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The psalmist talks about the fact that life often is in turmoil. That the lives we live are shaken, not stirred. That we struggle with the realities of life. You know, some examples here in verses... uh, um, um, Ten and following, all the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Then he says, I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. That was the psalmist's witness and testimony. That he put his faith in the God whose steadfast love endures forever. Despite the fact that life is full of turmoil, life, you know, is... is it, oftentimes our lives get turned topsy-turvy by all kinds of things. By a relationship that had been near and dear, suddenly breaks down. And you can't find rhyme or reason, you know. As far as you're concerned, you didn't do anything wrong. But they seem to be so deeply offended by what you had done or said. It could be you find that the children that you had discipled and carefully taught Scripture to has gone their own way. And it breaks your heart as a parent that all the efforts at parenting them (laughs) seem to have come to naught. It could be your visit to the doctor's office for what was a routine check comes back with a diagnosis that isn't routine by any means. And your life goes into turmoil. Are you able to say, Though the Lord has disciplined severely, but He has not given me over to death. You know, in the psalm, this word that comes to us. The psalmist says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. The psalmist at the point of time, was prof, he was prophesying obviously about God's Messiah coming. But he knew not entirely of what he was saying. That we are forgiven because he was forsaken. Isn't that right? The, the, that wonderful chorus, um, Amazing Love, talks about that. I can't remember the second line. <laughs> um, But the the idea that, you know, he became poor so that we might be rich. That his strength is made perfect in our weakness. That ultimately, you know, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And this is the response we make. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we go through this uh, week of Holy Week, as we reflect on our lives and the reality of the turmoil that we face, may it also be an opportunity for us to reflect on our sin, the condition that made it necessary for Jesus to come, to die on the cross. You know, you will hear this as we... uh, Come for a Good Friday, especially. We're going through the, 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 the seven last words on the cross. Had uh, six preachers to just expound each of the words. And the idea is this that, you know, if you really know that Jesus is God, ultimately it, it wasn't the nails that kept him up there on that cross, it wasn't the fact that there were Roman guards around that kept him there on the cross. What kept Him there on the cross was the fact that He came to die for our sins. Our sins kept Him on the cross. His great love for us kept Him there on the cross. And I hope that we would take the time in, you know uh, to reflect on how we've been living life up to this point. You know, as we talk about the king that we desire sometimes it's hard for us to relate because we live in a republic <laughs> we don't quite understand monarchy but what we do understand is that we often have different measures of success and sometimes we think of those things that uh, would be a successful life or you know the goals that we have would ultimately save us that's why you know through the season of lent a season of examination we go through the 10 commandments you realize that Normally, in the communion service, we'll go through the summary of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, I love your neighbor as yourself. Because on these hang the law and the prophets, so the entire law. But, you know, at times like this, when in the church we are called to be in a reflective mood, it's helpful to be specific. Going through the Ten Commandments, stop and think about what it means, and if you, in any doubt, go and read the uh, Sermon on the Mount, because it's not just merely the actions that are a problem; it's the fact that you know we conceive it in our hearts, in our minds. The reality is this: Martin Luther's insight about the Ten Commandments, he said, was that if you break any of the commandments, actually, at the root of it, you have broken the first commandment. And he talks about first commandment righteousness. What is the first commandment? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. All sin has its root in idolatry in that sense. If we've been covetous, it's because we covered the material things. That has become our God. That has become our measure of success. That has become king in our life. We find ourselves in adultery. It's because we pursue sexual pleasure. Or maybe we pursue a relationship that is outside the bounds of marriage. That we have made that king and an idol in our life. And I could go on and on and on down the road and talk about all the sins that stem uh, from breaking the Ten Commandments. I hope all of us know and we acknowledge that very fact. But what is the solution to the sin? What do we say in refrain to each of the commandments? Lord, have mercy and incline our hearts to keep this law. You know, I don't know if you've we, we say sometimes the collects uh, by rote and we don't necessarily think through them. I should have put it up, but never mind. It's not there. You know, the collect for Ash Wednesday says this, Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing that you have made and forgive the sins of all those who are penitent. The cry is this, create and make in us new and contrite hearts that lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, we may receive from you the God of all mercy, perfect forgiveness and peace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I've said this before, bears repeating that Thomas Kramer, who really put together our Anglican prayer book, he understood that what the heart desires, the will chooses and the mind justifies. So much of our sin is not because we don't understand it is sin. So much of the sin that we commit is not because we know don't know it is sin. The problem is we have hearts that are desperately wicked and have been led astray. And the solution God has for us is a change of heart. I will put a new heart within you, taking out your heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. That's what God wants to do with us, each and every one of us. And I hope this week as we reflect on this, let's pray. Let let our, our common prayer be, Lord, have mercy and incline our hearts to keep your law. Lord, create in us and make us new and contrite and make in us new and contrite hearts. That that will be our hearts cry. Then we can truly say, Behold our King. Let's bow our heads forward of prayer. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace. And we acknowledge, Lord, we are so much like that crowd. It's easy for us to sing praises and wave our branches and declare you as king. But the moment Monday rolls around, Lord, (laughs) maybe not even Monday, Sunday evening, we have forgotten. Or rather, it's because, Lord, we don't understand what it means to crown you as king in our lives. There are other kings that we have elevated, other monarchs, Lord, other idols that we worship. Father God, we ask and pray that through this season, through this week of Holy Week, may you work deep in our hearts. Would you make in us new and contrite hearts, Lord, because we desperately need it. It's not a matter of us exercising willpower. It's not a matter of us exercising you know, our, our, our own strength. But Lord, it is only in you, in a surrendered life, in denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following you, that ultimately, Lord, true discipleship will take place. And we pray that you would make that so in our lives. These things we ask and we pray in your son's most precious name. And all God's people will say, Amen.